Welcome into School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Chris and Adam once again. And well, guys, things are. This is going to be a uh, therapy session, I think, for all of us as we uh, move along here uh, after the happenings today, as we're recording on Sunday night. Um, just to recap for those who, I mean, if you don't know what happened, then why are you listening to uh, us if you don't know yeah. what happened? <laughs> then, uh, then, yeah, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast, but Liverpool. Save yourself and just skip to the part where we talk about the upcoming games. That's what exactly. You do. Skip, yeah, skip, yeah. <laughs> skip all of, skip all of this nonsense where we talk about this game where we blew chances and lost the game in the 96th minute off of a goal that will make us all angry from for the rest of time. I so mean, guys, how are you doing today? First yeah, of all, call, how, how calling you it, today? You know what? Damn it, calling it a goal is awfully generous. I refuse <laughs> it, to I refuse to give it that level of dignity. It sure is a play that ended up with the ball in the back of the net. You can <laughs> certainly call it that. <laughs> uh, among I've, things that have happened, that was one of them. Yeah. That is, that was one of them and by definition you're right. It is a goal by definition, but not sure we want to give it that gratitude, but I mean Let's just blow off some steam here, I think. I think that would be good for all of us, good for uh, everyone listening to hear us, you know, talk about this and, and really give some real emotion as to what we're all feeling right now because we could be diplomatic about this, but I don't think that that is, is what is supposed to happen right now. I think we all deserve a little bit of chance to blow off our steam. So, Adam, let's start off with you. Give us some thoughts. So, two things. On, on opposite ends of the spectrum, every time that we play Liverpool and they beat us, which didn't happen last year in Premier League play, as we should recall, um, I always walk away from matches against Liverpool going, man, I'm so fucking tired of losing to these guys. Uh, and obviously, especially with the way that everything went down at the end of the game today, uh, you walked away with that feeling. But by the same token, after about 10 minutes of, man, I'm really tired of losing to these guys, I was pretty much fine because we've now played four of the top six away already this season. And you could argue pretty easily without even having to squint at it real hard that we probably deserve to get something from at least three of four, if not all four. You know, this obviously, this was a nil-nil game that had the one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life happen at the end of it to, to win it for, for Liverpool. But we were with them stride for stride the whole way. Um, and I think that if if our goal as Everton is to finish in the top six this season, that's going to mean we got to finish ahead of United. Well, we just took the second best team in the league to the ropes for 95 and a half minutes. United went to Southampton, puffed up two in the first half, and had to sprint back just to get a draw at Southampton. And that's the team that we're going to worry about. So you feel pretty good in a lot of ways that if we can do this away to the second best team in the league, we're pretty much at the spot that we want to be. And as much as you just want to blow your brains out watching Origi dunk that at that stage of the game, I don't think anybody can deny at this point that we are at the spot we wanted to be by now or better. 
So with that yeah, said, I, that's the optimistic view. Now I'll let Chris talk about how he's going to drown himself. I mean, <laughs> dr- drowning might be too quick. I was thinking a little bit something more sadistic. I I do hear what you're saying in terms of the overall outlook and kind of looking at the game from a, a 30,000 foot view and things. But man, that was just the most Everton shit to ever happen. I've ever seen in my life. Like you start to get it. We're, we're playing well. We're playing well. We keep creating chances and really just Liverpool looked scared out of their wits when we turned around to, to go on the counter attack and you start to think, or at least I did, and I'm sure some of our listeners did as well, because this is what we do every year. This is going to end badly, and I had no idea how just how ugly the ending was going to be. And, and I don't know, I feel, feel like I, I feel a little bit better later, and especially after talking to you guys about it. But, man, there was several hours there where I just felt like I got kicked in the stomach. And it's hard to get that close and play that well and deserve things and just – you have it taken all away from you right at the end. And yeah, yeah. I, I think ahead, that Adam. the um, uh, that that what I had to keep telling myself after this one, and it's the overly logical approach, which is you know difficult to to get into, uh, uh, obviously, especially when you're playing a team that you really don't like. Uh, at the end of the season, if we are a point out of fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever our, you know, end goal position is, then I'm going to look back at this match and I'm going to be friggin' livid. I'm going to absolutely lose my shit if we end up missing out on something by a point because of what happened at the end of this game. But other than any any other eventuality by the end of the season, uh, this match isn't even a blip on the radar for me if we're in the place that, that we want to be. Well, and, and you hope... Mm-hmm. You hope that they, the players and the coaching staff, more than us as fans and, and writers, take it as a learning experience and a stepping stone rather than, you know, getting dejected about it, which is what I'm doing. Um, because I do think there are a lot of good things to take away from this game. I just don't want to do that right now. And if I have to see Jurgen Klopp's fake bravado and celebrations again one more time, I'm going to... Uh, I just he's a, he's a fucking tool. He really is. He's a very, very good football manager. Not yeah, I have a lot of respect for his managerial ability, which is part of why it's so freaking frustrating that he's out here putting on a show as if we all came to watch him instead of sprint you know, out to Alan to hug him when before the wants... game is over. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, this is a guy who is going to tell you that his goals are to win the Premier League and to win the Champions League this season and was in a Champions League final last year and beating sixth place or seventh place now because United passed us with the point that they got, I think. No, uh, they Everton. Not. Are no, they did not. Place. Oh, they didn't. Oh, even better. Uh, so beating sixth place Everton on a fluky goal at the end of a game that, you know... Uh, Scored by the guy really that you tried to sell all summer. You probably deserve. That is what's going to draw you to sprint out onto the field and hug your goalkeeper. Like, get, take, fuck that guy. <laughs> it's just like, it's so fake, right? He spends the entire week leading up to matches complaining about the referees or complaining about somebody diving or complaining about the damn grass. And then all of a sudden when he gets a lucky break, it's like, oh, I totally masterminded all of this and didn't spend the entire lead up being Jose Mourinho to the press. 
he he really is in a lot of ways. He's kind of bizarro Mourinho because he whines a lot, but in and then when it comes to matches, instead of being the uh, the sullen, you know, sulking, uh, woe is me character that Mourinho is, you know, he's uh, he's manic almost. They're they're kind of I two think... sides of the same coin, where Mourinho is the depressive and the uh, and Klopp is the manic. <laughs> I think I actually find Mourinho's routine funnier, honestly. Like, uh, he's irritating too, but it, it, at least like throwing the throwing the can of Gatorade across the pitch after they scored their winner a couple weeks ago in the Champions League or whatever was funny. Uh, and I mean, also it's helpful that Mourinho has not been successful at all this season, and Klopp continues to be successful. So it's a lot easier to laugh yeah, at Jose well, to a, when you know point, he's going like, to get sacked before the season's over. To, to, successful to a point, because remember that he's doing all of these theatrics without having one uh, lick in four years now. So, you know, I hesitate yeah. to I hesitate to go too far down that road, because like I said, I do think he's pretty good at his job. But also, just to put a quick bow on, on that... Um, Klopp said immediately after the game, you know, I apologize to Marco Silva for getting caught up in the moment and disrespecting them. I didn't mean that. And uh, so Silva's press availability was after that. And somebody asked him about Klopp's apology. And Marco said he he didn't talk to me. He didn't say sorry. (laughs) Delightful. That is is just great. That makes me very happy. May have a little beef. Yeah. Yeah, Always, you know, it's good for the narrative going forward, which is nice because, and, and I, I shake saying this, but I, I think it's true that, you know, in the past, in, in the Merseyside Derby history, there have, have always been characters, you know, on, on both sides that, that the other, you know, the other guys didn't like, you know, we had Big Dunk and, and so on. And Liverpool has had, you know, Steven Gerrard and, and Luis Suarez and what have you. And, Honestly, even after the whole scuffle with um, Firmino and Holgate last year, after it kind of all blew over and everybody was like, well, I guess it was really nothing. There's not really any player that immediately comes to my mind at Liverpool where I think, you know, I hate that guy the same way that I would have said about Suarez or uh, or Gerard or whomever. I, I do strongly – dis. I generally agree with you. I do strongly dislike Jordan Henderson. Um See, but you don't I, dislike Hendo because he's a jerk. You just dislike him because you think he gets a lot more credit than he deserves for everything, yeah, right? And, yeah, <laughs> and to your point about uh, individual players in this in this series, uh, Klopp would not shut up about Ramiro Funes Mori after the after the match. It's like, you just won a big match. <laughs> Why are we still talking about this admittedly bad tackle from two or three years ago? Like. Made really by a guy who's let, not even on the team anymore. <laughs> you're really going to let Ramiro Funes Mori rent out space in your head for three years? Okay. We've forgotten about Ramiro Funes yeah. Mori already. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I have a couple things to say on, on both of those topics. We'll start with the Klopp stuff. I mean, you know, it can be a little, oh, we got caught up in the moment, but I think once you cross the field of play, and run onto the pitch before the game is actually over, I think that becomes a little too much. Um, and again, we're all on the other side, the ones who are, I guess, quote-unquote, being disrespected in this situation. Um, 
But I, I tend to agree with you guys on that where I think it was a little bit too much and it could have waited the extra 30 seconds before, um, you know, the game was over. Uh, but in terms of the actual game, I actually tend to take um, – I'm, I lean more towards Adam's thinking on this because I thought we played an amazing game. I thought, you know, we deserved to at least tie if not win that game. We had amazing chances. We had the opportunity to put – you know, goals in the back of the net, and it just came down to, in all reality, just unlucky. I mean, Gomez should have easily scored. I mean, that that should have went in. The Mina goal I thought went in the net, uh, or the Mina the Mina header at the beginning of the game I thought went in the net. Um, and then you know, uh, a little heavier of a touch away from Allison and Walcott could score. So I think that we definitely um gave ourselves the chance to win this game, which is not something I typically feel coming out of a derby. I typically feel in recent years, especially, okay, like we, we kind of just got by in that one. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how things go at Goodison. Hopefully we'll be able to tackle a little bit more. But I feel like, you know, when we look at the Goodison matchup in, in a few, you know, I don't know, I think it's a couple months that we have to play them again. Yeah. I, I feel a lot more confident than I normally do. Uh, which and it is, should I, yeah, it should be noted to your point that we played that well with some major individual pieces, not really firing on all cylinders. I'm thinking of um Adrissa Gay and Gilfie Sigurdsson specifically. They they did not have their best games today, and you know those are maybe the two most most important players on the team. Yeah, yeah, I, I and, and the, the the takeaway I think has to be that if if you go away. Two, I think I, I said before that Liverpool is the second best best team in the Premier League. I don't think a whole lot of people would disagree. I know we've talked about it, uh, and, and you guys do. So I'm going to say that like it's pretty much fact. But if if you go away to the second best team in the league, and, and you put in a performance like we did today, it, there's really no match save for traveling to City in a couple of weeks that should be scary at this point. And if you would if you had told me that three months, four months into this season with the way that last season ended, I was going to not be scared of any fixture, save away to City. I'm going to told you you're out of your friggin' mind. And I think that that's absolutely the spot that you have to be right now. And not that you're going in, you know, who, who was thought to go to City and Spurs, I think is the other top six away match that we've still yes. got. You know, I'm not going to, not in my head, going to, you know, when we go to play at Spurs, think, oh, you know, we're going to go get a result. But I'm not going to think, well, we're definitely not going to get a result, which is what you would have thought at this time last year or even at the end of last season or even maybe at the start of this season. And that's a big shift. It's a monumental shift in just the way that that you feel like this club can approach big games. And it's and the way in which it has shifted is multifaceted. You can see it in the manager's mindset, and we also just have better damn players now. Yeah, like it, it's it feels like it's almost going a little bit under the radar because we've been winning. But I'm hard pressed to name one of the the guys that we brought in over the summer who's not been like objectively great. Yeah, you yeah. Know, the, the the big players were, you know, Gomish had a good game today. Richarlison's, you know, leading the team in goals. Yeri Mina, Chris and I at one point texted each other at the exact same time after Mina made like his fourth monumental tackle of the game. You know, Yeri Mina's the real <laughs> deal. Um, and obviously Lucas Dinia is, is a guy whose whose praises we've sung time and time again. So uh, I I think 
that ultimately, even as we're talking about it, we're kind of getting Chris over to me and Gino's side where, uh, it's, it's really disheartening to lose in, in the way, uh, that they ultimately did. But if you're not coming away from this feeling really good about the upcoming, you know, schedule, uh, you, you probably need to take yourself a little less seriously. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I was, I thought this in the mid, in midweek too, where, you know, going into this game, you look at Anfield, um, and you look at playing Liverpool at Anfield. I mean, they haven't lost a Premier League game since 2017. Like that was the last time that they lost a Premier League game. Uh, so you know, it's going to be a tough game along with them being so good. So, I had the mindset that, you know, no matter what happens, this shouldn't define our improvement. This shouldn't define our season. You know, obviously we want to go out there, get a good result, put out a good performance against Liverpool. Uh, but it really shouldn't really make a difference of, on how we look at this Everton team. And, and I think now even more, I, I feel even better about that and even better about saying that, yes, again, the way we lost was was tough and, and will we'll stick with us for uh, years. I mean, it, it's – Worse than the 93rd minute goal Sadio Mane scored um, a few years ago against us. But in the same sense, you look at that game and you look at this game, and we were significantly better in this game. We're significantly better of a team, and, and improvement has been shown uh, really across the board, and, and that's really um, encouraging. That's that's the looking at the glass half full instead of half half empty I mean, to it. Just you know, I think we. Because we don't want to think about Liverpool being good, at least I can speak for myself. I don't want to have to think about Liverpool being good. But Liverpool has not lost yet this season, and the only games in which they've dropped points were at Chelsea, home against City, and at Arsenal. They drew all three of those games. I mean, so if you come away with a draw at Liverpool, that's something that only one team has done this season, and it's... Manchester City, it's likely the eventual title winners. That's that's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and not only like did we almost come away for, come away with a draw, but at, there were certain stretches, and yeah, they were a little bit short in terms of the amount of time. But we were we were taking it to them um, okay. on the counterattack, but even a couple times in possession as well. And you know the chance that um, Joe Gomez cleared off the line and Allison saved right before from Andre Gomez. That was some really damn nice football. Yeah, you know, so I, I don't think that anybody comes away, you know, not very clear on which of these two teams is is better. Um, but I think that I think that Everton proved today that that gap is a lot smaller than people might have thought, uh, potentially yeah. including myself. Um, so you know, good, a lot of good to take away. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, you know, again, like you said, a lot of good takeaway, but let's dive a little bit deeper into this game real quick before we move on from the topic. Uh, and just go over a couple things on, on players and let's start with the goal. Um, Jordan Pickford attempting to push the ball over the bar. Do we blame any of this on Pickford for Origi's goal or was it more of just kind of a fluke or dumb luck? Chris, we'll start off with you on this one. Yeah, I'm going to file it under shit happens. And, you know, since we're Everton, the shit usually happens to us. The reason that I against Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The reason, um, just to be a little bit more specific that I don't blame Jordan for this is that it, it's not as if he made the wrong decision with his, um, with his 
you know, his choice to push it, try and push it over the bar. He made the right decision and it just came off wrong. And so I have a hard time getting too upset about the intent there. And, you know, at that point, once, once he kind of shanks it, if you will, with his hands, there's not, he can't get back into position and that's that. But uh, I didn't see anything in particular about his positioning or anything like that. And uh, the other thing that I'll say is that when Van Dyke kind of side foots it way up into the air and at a weird angle away from the goal, pretty much everybody, including Van Dyke himself, just kind of turns away and thinks, oh, that's going out of bounds. And um so you wouldn't really blame him for losing track of that either. So I'm, I mean, it was aggravating in the moment. It's still aggravating that that's what happened, but I, Pickford kept us in the game um to, to a big extent with his save on Shakiri and several times on Mane rushing out and putting him off. So I, Jordan's going to be fine. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I'm pretty much uh, in agreement there. I, I have never really ever seen a, a, a ball, you know, coming in at that angle come back out. Cause I, I think Jordan pushed it off, pushed it into the bar ultimately, didn't he? Um, yeah, it, 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 it definitely hit the bar. It hit his hands, then the bar yeah. and then came down. I, I, I have just never seen a ball come off the crossbar in the manner that it did. Because if it comes out, you know, if he pushes it, and it comes off the front of the bar, it's flying out with some speed, and nobody's going to get onto it because Origi's sitting on top of him, and everybody else has already turned away. Uh, I, well, that's the thing. He's clearly not trying fluky. to punch that back into traffic. He's trying to yeah. tip it over like he's you're taught to do. And, but even, even just more basically than that, I, I've just never in any situation seen a ball come off of the crossbar in the way and back at the angle that it, it did. And uh, surely he could have done, you know, could have done better. But I mean, if that play happens a thousand more times, that, that exact combination of things that leads to that goal never happens again. Yeah. I, at, at one point when I was sitting there just on my couch, kind of stunned, I was trying to rationalize my life and the decisions that had led me to this point and those kind of things. And I was like, did that maybe go out of bounds? That's how fluky it looked. I was like, yeah. I, at, at first I was trying to see that looks like it might have gone out of bounds, but there's, it didn't. Um, ultimately there's also, that's also very difficult to tell, um, without VAR. So it is what it is. And I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, for me, you know, usually if some stupid stuff happens, I yell at my TV or get animated in front of it. I, I just couldn't move. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. felt paralyzed where you just sat and just watched Jurgen Klopp run out to midfield with, you know, your jaw on the floor making no sound. I was sitting watching it with my roommate, who is not a, a soccer fan, but was just up and around. And I think he was expecting me to, like, flip a table or something. Um, and I just – I do. Sat I do in. my best to hold all that emotion in because there are probably – there is probably a good chance that I will do that. So <laughs> – I do my best to hold that all in, but there is always screaming and uh, annoyance and loud noises and movements oh, yeah. that do and, take place. And, and I was doing I, you know, it, you know, the rest of the game in normal um, amounts. It was just that moment was so stunning to me yeah. that I, I could not make any noise or react in any way. And to me, that's, you know, helling. Yeah, I was the same way. I didn't have a, 
visceral reaction until about about 15 minutes later when I started thinking about how disappointed I was. And then I started getting mad at Klopp. And if I'm going to flip a table, which, I mean, this has happened. I've broken a couple of remotes in my life and that kind of thing. It's going to be on, like, a really stupid defensive breakdown that is somebody's fault. Or a refereeing error. (laughs) Yes. Which I – by the way – it was, uh, I think the guy, the referee's today's name was Chris Cavanaugh, and it was, yeah. you know, he it was highly publicized because it was his first derby of any kind and only his like 25th Premier League match or something. I thought he did a good job, and Agreed. I feel like, I feel like I should mention that just because I'm also very quick to point out when they don't do a good job, and I don't remember ever once really thinking that was a bad call or you missed the call or anything like that. Agreed. I thought he managed the game well, and I thought, uh, you know, you're always going to disagree with a couple of calls. That's the nature of it. But, yeah, no, I was uh, pleasantly surprised as well, especially since we've seen some uh, several uh, more senior referees lose control of this match in the past. So uh, good on him. Yes. Uh, Mike Dean, uh, for example, lost control of the North London Derby uh, in the first half. So. <laughs> So yes, you're right. You credit where it's due when uh when you do see a, a reasonable, you know, referee display. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, it's I thought he did a good job as well and and you know nothing you can, you know, really say or, or, or point out that he really missed uh in any aspect. I think that he you know, every time I screamed at my T V yellow card, the yellow card came out, so I think that was <laughs> or said Oh no, that's a yellow card. It came out. So I think he did a pretty good job based on that, on that yeah. aspect. Typically, <laughs> typically I'm yelling at the TV yellow card and then freaking out because there, there was none given. Um, or there was one given for a foul that was clearly not. Um, but a, I think he did a pretty good job overall. But, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Everton played well enough to get some sort of result out of this game. But again, came down to not taking their chances, not finishing. We've mentioned that the, the the Yerry Go- the Yerry Mina, the Andre Gomesh, the the Theo Walcott chances. Um, what has to change? Is there anything that they can really do to improve putting those away? Is there anything they can do in training to make sure that those go away or no? And Adam, let's go to you first on this one. Um, they can get a real striker at the top of the Damn it. Uh, formation. <laughs> I knew he was going to say it too, so I'm glad you threw to me first. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and that's not a slight on Richarlison's finishing. And let me be very clear about that. He has been very consistent in front of goal when he's gotten good chances more often than not. He's put them away. It's not about getting him, um, out, uh, you know, getting him out of those chances. It's just about getting another guy who is comfortable finishing on those chances. Bernard, what? for all of his skills, and I thought he had a very good game today. Um, is not, you know, not a guy that's going to get you a ton of goals, has not been historically. Um, and, and poor, Walcott, poor Theo Walcott yeah. at this point, man. I, I feel really bad for the guy. He, he's clearly trying, but good lord. Yeah, you know, he just, he looks, his confidence looks completely shattered and he'll be fine yeah. in the long run. Um, I think, but getting him out of there and getting, um, Adamola Lookman in there, sure, wouldn't hurt. Um, over on the right. And then sliding Richarlison left to get, um, Shank Tozun, uh, back in up top or Dominic Calvert Lewin. And, you yeah, know, it, I know it, that someone is going to be yelling at their podcast streaming device, you know, that, oh, you know, both those guys had their problems finishing, uh, earlier in the season. And 
You're right. Well, you could you could see today that Richarlison's hold-up ability just, just wasn't really there. There was multiple times where he just got muscled off the ball. And, you know, again, these are things that have happened 50 yards away from goal, you know, but they're things that are important to the build-up play. And if your striker in that system can't do those things, especially against a team that's pressing you and pushing you and you need somebody to hit the ball to so you can get a counterattack going, and he's not doing that, you know, you got you got to have that ability, and he he showed today that you know it's doesn't come as easy for him as it does for you know a Chang Tosun type player. Yeah, that's completely correct. And to Adam's point about Richarlison's being finishing being excellent, which obviously it is, nobody can argue about that. I would submit, or excuse me, what my theory presupposes is it's better to have two good finishers on the field than one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that obviously both Cenk and Dom you know, had stretches where they were struggling to get the ball in the back of the net, but also both guys, you know, got goals late in the, in the palace match. And you're, you're really hard pressed, you know, both guys have seen time, um, off the bench since then, but you're hard pressed to point to another chance since that match that either of those guys have had, at least not immediately come to mind for me. Well, and if you back, if you back the lens back out, to a more reasonable level than just being like, oh my gosh, he missed that. Both Calvert-Lewin and Tosin have conversion rates that are on par with or better than players like Jamie Vardy and Romelu Lukaku and Alexander Lacazette. Like, they're fine. Yeah. Just just because they missed a bad one that you remember doesn't mean over the course of a larger sample size they're not converting as they should. So I think that is important to remember that these are good players and they might have frustrated you at various points or another, but let's calm down. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and and uh on the on the Lookman point, I think for me personally, I think that Newcastle this week is a good place to get him in, you know, midweek oh, game, yeah. Yeah. give Theo some rest, uh, get him a start and, and Yeah, and I mean it's 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 Paul Dummett over there. Um so yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, there was, I mean, coming on today, he looked, you know, he, he's really proven that he deserves, and Marco Silva's even come out and said it, that he deserves a spot um, in this starting lineup. And just to, uh, got a couple more things here to go over before we move on to Newcastle. Uh, one of them being the Barcelona players who, you know, there were people saying that we bought, that Everton bought Barcelona's worst, th- uh, three worst players, uh, you know, you know, why would they want to just pick from Barcelona? I mean, and we even said this, so I think we all, we all spoke on this that, you know, if we're picking from the bottom of the barrel at Barcelona, I think we'll be okay. Um, and the three players that have played for us have played remarkably well, I'd say. Um, and, and, you know, I think the question we ask now is, is anyone saying that now? You know, does anyone really believe that these players are not worth our time? I, I'd have to say no, Chris. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of. Hoping that Marcel Brands has just, uh, got a tent outside, uh, Barcelona stadium until they'll sell us Andre Gomez permanently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I thought that, uh, as, as I said before, I thought Yerry Mina again was a guy who stood out to me as, as someone. Dinier was really good as well. I mean, Mina yeah. and Gomez were the, the two standouts, but Dinier had some moments against Salah that were like, Excellent, and uh, Salah never really posed the threat to the point that he got subbed off at zero zero, which it f- feels a little bit unusual. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think that we've almost, you know, we've uh, gotten to the point with Dinya that that we don't even really think about 
think about him anymore because he's, you know, in what, 10 games? He's played 12 games. Uh, he's played in the, in the Premier League. We just don't even really think about it anymore because he's just been solid and he's the starting left back. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's probably time to schedule Leighton Baines testimonial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not getting back in anytime soon. No. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, that defense has played particularly well. And I, I, I mean, Andre Gomes, there's things that he does that, um, you know, just amaze me. He just, he's just so calm and advancing the ball. It just, it's so nice to see that because <laughs> even today we got a nice, we got a good look at what it's like to be calm under pressure and be able to pass the ball out and what it's like not to do that in Ghana, who <laughs> made me want to throw up at some point today. Um, but just to speak on the defense and Yarimina and, uh, and, and Luca Dinia back there with, with the rest of them, you know, the goal given up against Liverpool today was our first goal in 270 plus minutes. You know, we haven't, we, oh, the last right. goal we gave up before that was against 33rd Brighton. minute against Lewis, uh, against Brighton with Lewis Duncan. That's a set piece. You know, yep, you so have to, to, you go have to go back further than that than open play. Yeah, exactly. Um, you'd have to go back to the United match. And, you yeah. know, that's that's with the match against Chelsea and 95 and a half minutes against Liverpool, who are yeah. probably, you know, who are two and three in the league right now. So that's, you know, pretty good. It's pretty good. It, it, yeah. it's, I'll take it, certainly. And uh, just to preach one more sermon from the gospel of Andre Gomez, there's stuff that he does on the ball that – no other midfielder that we've had in the last several years, Ghana and Schneiderlin included, have probably ever even had the idea to do in terms of okay. dribbling. And he, he really moves on the ball remarkably well for somebody of his size. And th- then you see like his movement off the ball to get back in position for a Walcott's knockdown on the chance that, um, Allison saved. Here again, something that our other central midfielders just don't do. And it's like, we may have lucked into something really fortunate here. Yeah, you you look at him now clearly playing with confidence, and it's it's so diametrically opposed to anything that you really saw from him when he was he was at Barcelona, where he clearly did did not look comfortable um, with his surroundings or the scale of things or or who knows you know what it was. But you, when you watch him play at his best, you absolutely can think, oh yeah. I can see that this is a player that Barcelona looked at and went, yeah, he might fit in here. And uh, uh, that's pretty high friggin' praise, especially for a midfielder. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been exceptional. And I, I just love watching him play because I love watching him just move the ball so smoothly from the defense to attack. And, and, you know, he just, again, he seems so calm. And that's something you need in that midfield, you know, to, you know, really just advance the ball, even under pressure, Kind of takes the ball in the office chest. A lot of players tend to like head the ball out, make a quick movement toward towards it with a player coming at him. He just takes the ball in on his chest, takes a touch, and then finds the player he's looking for. And it's just a very calming and exciting sight for us Everton fans. Uh, yeah, and see. and Morgan Schneiderlin is an excellent passer and also fairly calm under pressure, but he's never dribbling around a guy or sidestepping through a defender and yeah. continuing his run into the 18 yard box like that that just doesn't happen with with him and i i i still do like morgan and i think that he has received a lot of undue criticism and i also think he's getting sold on january 1st 
<laughs> it's it, yeah, it does continue to to trend that way. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But Gomez certainly doing well. But before we move on here, one last thing, you know what? You know, we did. We've talked about how we played well, and we we have improved. But what's one adjustment that you guys can think of? Adam, we'll go to you first on this one. That Everton can make from this performance uh, to apply against future ma- in future matchups against the traditional top six. Um, we we talked about the the change dropping Richarlison back over the left wing, and we've talked about it for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to go away from that, and I'll give you something that's a lot more basic. Um, we've got to start taking our chances on set pieces. Uh, Dinya and, and Gilfie have pretty consistently been putting in anywhere from good to great service. And, and we've had chances. Um, and Yerry Mina, you know, in the third minute today was, uh, obviously another great example, but we're getting anywhere from like two to four of these kind of chances where somebody needs to start putting these chances away, especially against big teams where you know you're probably only going to see 35 or 40 percent of the ball when you get chances like that you cannot waste them and I think that that is probably the biggest thing standing in in Everton's way from from getting results more in these games yeah that that sounds completely correct to me and the thing that I'm going to add is just that um, they need to make the simple play and I don't mean by that that they need to stop making complicated plays in favor of simple ones. I just mean that when they try to make a simple play, it it has to come off. I'm thinking of a moment today um, where Ghana had uh, maybe a 10-yard pass out to his right. I think it was either to Coleman or Walcott, and he mishits it by two or three yards, and it just rolls out of bounds, and we turn the ball over. Those types of things, while they don't seem that bad in the moment, they do add up, and it's it can be cumulatively speaking what keeps you from taking that next step. Uh, you know, midfielders on a top six team, they complete that pass. Yeah, and I actually same exact thought. You know, making the simple play. There was multiple times today alone where I said just make the simple pass, and a lot of it happened to be with Ghana. You know, a lot of times you see them try and do something a little too complicated, create a little too much space when they could just make the simple pass out of it or make the simple play out of it and then move from there. You know, and like you said, it doesn't hurt. It may not hurt in the exact moment, but it does build up and become a problem. Well, know, just, yeah, just but, understand who you are, right? Like yeah. you have limitations. Just play into them and you're going to be fine. Your limitations are not keeping you from being a top six team. It's try, it's when you're trying to go above and beyond those limitations as a player that's hurting you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is enough for this one. I think we have gotten all our, our comments out and it's time to move on to what is upcoming in the future and hopefully, uh, you know, six points would be nice over the night over the next yeah. week, and we take on Newcastle on Wednesday. And uh, they're currently in fifteenth place, but they're three one and one in their last five matches. Uh, let's let's ask this question first: Are they in any real relegation danger right now? Is Rafa Benitez, you know, you know, he's still a good manager, um, and he's, you know, we, we, is he good enough to keep them out of the relegation zone for one more year? I uh, going into Today, or this weekend, I should say, um, 
I would have pretty pretty unequivocally said, yeah, you know, I think I think that they're going to be fine. Um, they obviously got off to a miserable start, but had gotten a draw at Southampton, beat Watford, beat Bournemouth, and beat Burnley in their last four games in the Premier League before this one. And that's, you know, those are the sort of performances that you have to get to be a team that doesn't get relegated in, in a key stretch of games. They got them. Um, and then they went out this weekend and got, you know, spanked by West Ham and, and lost 3-0. It's a 2-0 with a late goal, but still, um, that's a troubling result. Uh, when you're not very good, sometimes those are the sorts of results that can start to snowball on you. Um, but I think that there are just too many other bad teams in the Premier League looking at, you know, uh, Fulham and Huddersfield, uh, Burnley. And Southampton and, Bur- yes, Burnley. Um, I, I think that there, I, I don't, the talent at Newcastle isn't outstanding, but it's good enough plus the fact that they have Rafa Benitez, who, yes, I still believe as well as a good manager, uh, puts them, to me, uh, ahead of those teams. And, you know, they do sit three points uh, safe right now with a, a couple of teams between them and the drop. I think they're probably fine. Yeah, I mean, I think they're fine too. But, uh, I don't like their – at least it sounds like I don't like their roster as much as Adam does. And we can nitpick that until the day is, day is over. But I, I think Benitez is such a good manager that he's one of the only things keeping them safe. And I, I think they'll be fine. Um, it bears noting that that whip, whipping that, uh, West Ham put on them yesterday was at home. It was in yeah. Newcastle, which, uh, that's pretty ugly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure those fans weren't uh, taken to that too kindly as they've been very vocal about their, uh, their displeasure with the owner. Well, I mean, in their defense, my understanding is that that's the only thing to do in Newcastle. <laughs> and also, I mean, you know, if Mike Ashley was in charge of my football team, I'd probably be pretty irritated too. It seems, a, you know, <laughs> well, a relatively yeah. cheap and disagreeable fellow. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be mad. The thing about yeah. the – one of the things about Newcastle is – uh, I, I'm going to stop short of saying sleeping giant, but there's a lot of potential there. Their stadium is enormous. Um, it's a pretty decently sized town. They have a lot of historical success and they have a really good fan base that continues to turn out against all odds, really. And Mike actually still sees all of those good infrastructure things and is like, eh, I'm just going to let everything be status quo for years on end. Well, Looking at Newcastle now, um, and I agree with you on, on the whole Newcastle Mike Ashley thing because you know it's it's crazy that he doesn't want to spend money. But there are, I think, some players that that can bring some you know troubles or or may concern some of us. And I'm interested to hear from you guys who those players may be, if any. Uh, Adam, we'll go to you first. Who on new this Newcastle roster really concerns you coming this Wednesday? Um. I, I don't know if I'd say anyone really deeply concerns me. Um, the player that I will say um, concerns me the most is uh, is probably Matt Ritchie. Um, he's had his ups and downs this season just because the Newcastle striker situation is uh, a mess. But he's going to be out, out on the wing. He's going to create 
chances for this team getting down the wing, whipping the ball into the, that giant that is uh, Solomon Rondon. And he can be a sneaky threat if you are not alert to what he is, is capable of. Chris, how about you? Anybody on this roster concern you? Um, uh, marginally, it's definitely not Solomon Rondon. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Iosi Perez. I think he's a pretty nifty player. Um, he's probably – I think it's a little bit unfair to him that Newcastle have been heavily linked with uh, Miguel Amlerón from MLS in Atlanta. Uh, he, he has some creative ability and takes his chances in front of goal, and I think that you know, if, if Ghana has another day – on Wednesday, like he did today, um, that, that could be an area of concern, but it's just, you know, it's not a great team. Frankly, they, they're kind of a mess and e- even players that are semi-talented are kind of getting bogged down by, by the overall issues there. Yeah. yeah. I, what I will say about, um, Solomon Rondon is that he is, um, large. And that he is a threat on set pieces. Um, I have surely said it before and will surely say it again. Uh, set piece defense is an area that concerns me. I thought that Everton were, were very good de- defending their set pieces. Um, was up until, was you know, uh, that Lewis the Dunkel end. the last set piece ga- goal we've given up as well? I, don't know, I wouldn't even – oh, the West Ham? No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, was our last set piece okay. goal given up the one against Brighton? Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, okay. So I, I'm just trying to get a read on we, whether or not we, that's uh, turning I, a corner. Yes. Well, I, I, I thought that we had um, until the Cardiff match, where there were uh, uh, there was that major moment of concern at the end of the game. I continue to just identify that as a as a spot that just. Always, I'm, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on, um, Rondon isn't, uh, particularly, um, I think good is the word, but, uh, he is, I large. mean, bless, bless his heart, he seems like a nice fellow, yeah. um, after all the James McCarthy stuff that has gone down, and even he's made more comments about this year, where, you know, he said he was very emotionally upset about all that, but, uh, don't really know why Newcastle exchanged Alexander Mitrovic for Rondon, that's, uh, not a good trade. No, that's not. At any rate, that's my only, the only thing that I will want to say about Rondon is that, you know, you just got to make sure that you're bodying him on set pieces. So please do that. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, now moving to kind of attacking uh, Newcastle, what areas of Newcastle's shape and person, personnel do we see Everton being able to take advantage of on Wednesday? Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, their midfield's pretty garbage, and that's mm-hmm. uh, that might be putting it lightly. Uh, John Joe Shelby has, well, uh, he's John Joe Shelby. I'll, I'll leave it at that if you've <laughs> kept up with the Premier League at all in the last seven or eight years. You know, they're playing, uh, guys like Mohamed Diame, um, in midfield who is also not very good. And as we've seen in the last, uh, six, seven, eight matches, Everton's midfield, uh, holy trinity of Ghana, Gilfie, and Gomez is quite good and becoming rapidly one of the big strengths of the team. And I think that Newcastle could be in for a world of hurt there. Um, I will uh, agree with that. I would say that, that their midfield is definitely area number one for me. Um, but I also think that their fullbacks are extraordinarily gettable. Um, I know we, 
We joked before about uh, who their left back might be. It was actually this week against West Ham. It was uh, it was Javi Manquillo, uh, formerly of Atletico Madrid, and should be uh, noted, Manquillo not a left back, actually a right back. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's uh, that's that tells you what the Newcastle left back situation is like that they're putting a not good right back out there. Um, and DeAndre Yedlin, uh, obviously we know very well, being Americans, um, is very fast. Uh, but his positioning has been uh, notoriously known to be uh, bad, I think is the word that is usually described with. Um, yeah. So I think uh, that, to me, throwing Richarlison out there opposite DeAndre Yedlin and just telling Richarlison who's work off the ball when he's put out in that left position to just try to get in behind or find the space, I think is absolutely a place that they can look to exploit uh, yeah. As could Adamola Lookman potentially, if um, if if uh, Silva wants to use him in that position as well. But I think their fullbacks are uh, gettable big time. Yeah, that's a good point, and it pains me a little bit to say this as a United States men's national team quote unquote fan. Um, the, the reason that DeAndre Yedlin plays in the Premier League is that he's so fast, you can ignore his positioning issues a little bit, but there are ways to exploit that. And as you mentioned, maybe playing our best left winger at left wing is a good way to do that. Yeah, agreed. All right, so let's get into predictions now. What do you guys think uh, about this uh, about this game on Wednesday, Adam? Um, I, I think that we ultimately uh, we get the result. Uh, I am hopeful that Marco Silva will come out. He'll put one of the strikers up top. He'll put Richarlison out left. He'll put Adam Olukman out right. And I think if we do that, I think we run him off the field, and I think you could be looking at two or three to nil. Um, in reality, I suspect he'll probably only do one of those two things. Um, and I think like we did against Cardiff, as a result, we could see us toil a little bit in the midfield. So I'm going to go 1-0 in this one. I think regardless of what configuration of attacking players he trots out, um, it, it should be enough to break down Newcastle. It'll just be a matter of by how much. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your conclusion that we're going to win the game. I disagree a little bit in terms of how we're going to get there because I think that even if Marco wants to keep the same setup that he's been running – it's about time to start rotating people, and I think that's um, actually going to work out in his favor. Even uh, Richarlison, I wouldn't – well, I would be a little bit surprised if he started on the bench, but I would not be surprised at all if Bernard and Walcott got a break. And like I said, I think that's to our benefit. I'm going to go with 3 nothing. I think that the way that this season has been trending and everything that we've seen from the players in terms of their response and Silva in terms of the words that he's speaking – I think the loss against Liverpool is going to do us more more good than harm over the long term, and we'll see that starting on Wednesday. Yeah, I agree uh, with you, Chris. I think this one's going to be uh, probably 3 nothing as well. I think we're due for a few goals here. Um, haven't scored really a bunch. Really only scored the one since uh, since Brighton. I think we can really take advantage of Newcastle and, and win this one. Um and with that said, we'll move on to Watford, which will be happening next Monday. Oh, right. man, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Oh, my God. All right, guys, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, we're going to get into this, and Chris is clearly, as you can tell, uh, very excited for this one for some reasons that, you know, 
I'm not sure we really want to hit on. I think me and Adam want to not hit on them. I know Chris. I, I'm, does, I'm, but... I'm going to be walking around from Thursday to Monday, just walking around my house doing the uh, machine gun celebration on one knee. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's start off with 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 Watford and and they've started off really hot this year, and you know, as is typical of them, has you know a little cooled down a bit. You guys think that they're really a threat to Everton in the table, or are we just looking, you know, kind of at a team that's gonna, it's really not gonna do much. They're gonna, they may look like a threat, but never really, uh, give us much of a competition up there. Adam? Uh, no, no, I'm not scared of Watford at all. Um, they opened the season beating Brighton, Burnley, and Crystal Palace. They got an admittedly good win against the Tottenham side that was undefeated four games into the season. And then they ran into actual uh competitive teams. They lost to United. They played Arsenal and lost. They played Bournemouth and lost. Uh Pretty much, you know, since since that Open, if they've played a team that uh is in the top half of the table, uh, they've lost. Um and, and I think that that's pretty representative of what they are. They are very clearly better than teams like Newcastle and those bottom dwellers that, that we talked about earlier on. But I think that they're also pretty clearly a, a, a chunk below the, the top six plus Everton. And I think even Leicester and, and Bournemouth probably are uh, in the tier above Watford for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And just speaking more to their recent results, they, uh, they've lost the team several times, including United and Liverpool, who were down a man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think, th- I think they'll end the season similar to where they are now, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th, somewhere in that range. And, and that's, that's probably fine with them. I know that they, their fans blew a lot of smoke up my butt on Twitter over the past little while with both the Marco Silva issues and the Richarlison thing later on. It's, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of a, uh, I, when I think about Watford, I'm just like, why am I thinking about them? This is pointless. <laughs> That's right. And and everyone get on Twitter to let Chris know that you're not happy with that because he's usually the one running the Twitter account. <laughs> Are we gonna have to edit that out later? <laughs> no, no, you can leave it in. You know you know I I'm not afraid of that. Uh bring uh, it. Yeah, actually I should not have encouraged you to make bad decisions on Twitter, as anyone who can look at our Twitter feed knows you're plenty good at that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, every resume that I send out to potential employers includes the line, fought Jamie Carragher on Twitter and didn't lose. <laughs> oh, no, you beat Kara. You definitely, and this is, this is true facts. If you're, you know, bored at 3 a.m. one night and you can't get to sleep, dig through the Royal Blue Mersey Twitter, uh, archives and you'll find Chris actually fighting with Jamie Carragher. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that we haven't changed the name of the site, frankly, to beat Carragher. Uh, because that's probably the best thing we've ever done. Well, I have a nice, I mean, I have a nice little, uh, vacation spot in Jamie's head. Like, <laughs> I take up residence there every once in a while. Anyway, so Watford. Moving, <laughs> yeah, moving back to Watford, other than beating Jamie Carrier. Uh, let's talk a little bit about their defense, or I guess what they call their defense. Only given up 19 goals so far this season, which seems like not a lot. Uh, for how bad, uh, you know, they look and really have looked. Uh, Chris, 
You want to talk a little about their defense? Well, I guess I have to, but it's a little bit offensive. Like, I don't want to trigger anybody unnecessarily. I mean, that. Well, now that they have your, now that they know that they can attack you on Twitter, you better watch. Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's fair. I just, I don't really understand how you look at that set of players and come to a conclusion that that's an okay thing to run out in a top division. And I mean, it's not as if they've taken steps to fix that and the steps they took were just bad and, you know, they had some transfer failures. They just look at it and think that's fine. Like Craig Cathcart, uh, okay. Um, Jose Holobas is pretty good on set pieces, I guess, but Adrian Mariapa, 32 years old, couldn't cut it at Crystal Palace as a right back, so he's going to start for Watford at center back, sure. I, there's just a lot of things I don't understand. I have more questions than answers. And the, the thing that confuses me, because, like, I look at the names and I go, why? And I watch them play and I go, oh, God, why? That they've conceded 19 goals this year, which is pretty good. It's mid-table, and their expected goals against is is better than that. Their expected goals against is like at 16 and a half. So uh, you know, uh, it, against average finishing and uh, you know adjusting for whatever, you would suspect that they could have even been better, had a better defensive record than they do. And and I don't understand why that is happening based on you know what what you look at and it's not as though their midfield um is you know some magical wall that that shields no. the, their back line as well you know Etienne Capoue I think is a perfectly useful central midfield player I think uh Tottenham would be very happy to have him back at this point because their central midfield, you know, they have problems there as well. Um and we're gonna talk about Ducore uh in, in a little bit, but you know, he's certainly for whatever he you might think he is positively, uh he's not a true holding, you know, defensive stalwart midfielder either. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this game if for no other reason than that I want to understand how this all works. <laughs> and I think the reason that it at least works in part is because uh, much like Marco Silva before him, ha- Javi Garcia might be pretty good at his job, which yeah. kind of sucks for him because, you know, he's going to get sacked in a few months because that's just how Watford operate. <laughs> just yeah, historically a- true. Did you just sign a new deal, though? I mean, he did sign a new deal, but I don't think that means anything for Watford. They go through managers like I changed pants. That's fair. That's fair. All right. I'm going to skip three or four months, right? (laughs) I'm going to skip the next point on the uh, rundown here and jump right to uh, Ducore. You bastard. (laughs) Okay. You know what? I'm going to override that because I wrote the outline. (laughs) We don't have to – I'm not going to sing the Gerard De La Feu song to you. But I do – you're welcome. I do want to point out that um, Garcia has been playing De La Feu as a striker in a pairing with um, Isaac Success, and I, I uh, help. Why? Uh, interestingly enough, you would not say that it has been all that, you know, successful. But um, heyo. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and 
it's it's interesting because that's you know that's been his uh, among his his preferred group and you look at at Watford's options up top and you've got Troy Deeney, Andre Gray, Jerry and Isaac Success and I don't know if I look at that group and I think boy there's a group that has two players that I want to start you know as my out and out strikers but all that they've rolled all season has, you know, has been this 4-2-2-2 um, with Pereira and, and Hughes kind of playing as quasi-wings. You know, they're uh, they're ahead of, of Ducore and, and Capu, and, you know, you can call their width or central, you know, whatever you want to call them. But it's, it's just overall, it's a weird system um, that's clearly working for them because, as we've said, you know, defensively, they're record is is much better than you would suspect it to be but uh i have a lot of questions about I mean, how viable a, you know yeah. a system that, that has no true wingers in it and Gerard de Lefeu as a striker uh can can be long term and that's a that's a set of players where i look at and think why am I trying to get two strikers on the field uh, i, I would just barely want to my... be playing one yeah, yeah. I mean, and Dale Feu for a team of, and I'm going to try not to go over the top here, for a team of Watford's station in life, Dale Feu is a perfectly serviceable winger, mm-hmm. and they're trying to make him do stuff that he's not good at. Yeah, and we all know that there's enough of those things already that you don't need to force him into that anymore. Yeah, I, I, I it's, it seems a little, a little too, uh, little too much there and, and you know we've spoken a lot about how Watford have put in, put players into positions that they just don't fit into and that may in large part be due there uh, may be reason for their falling off here a little bit uh, well and, and I think that it, it also points to the admittedly limited talent that's there and you know that's that's yeah. what you do when you don't have the talent that you want and we've seen it at everton you know in the past in the past couple of years as well that uh you know, we we didn't have wingers in the team, so we were putting Gilfie out wide, or you know, what have you. Uh, sometimes it's you know, the thing that you have to do. Uh, it's just it's what you have to do to be able to to survive as a team based on what you've got, you know, in your ranks. But uh, yeah, you you guys both presented some good candidates there with Gilfie the left winger and Cuco Martino the left back. But um, my my remembrance is going to be for Dominic Calvert Lewin the right wing back. <laughs> the, oh my God! The right wing back who assisted on that uh, that goal the opening day against yeah. Stokes. So I mean, you've, oh no, or was that the you, no that no was, yeah no you're you're on it. It was uh, okay. it was against Stoke. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, no, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's certainly tough times over there at Watford, but um, those Ducore rumors, as Adam mentioned. Uh, earlier, yeah, they've, 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 they've popped up again this week or this past week. And, uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about him. Do we want him? Don't we want him? Chris will go to you first on this one. So it's, and I understand the temptation from the media here because it has already happened once where Marco Silva has poached a Watford player. The difference is that Richarlison is objectively good at soccer. And Decore is not. So, like I said, it's easy for the media to, to make this conclusion, to jump to this conclusion rather, where 
They think that Everton might be looking at a midfielder, which I think that they probably are because Mohamed Bezic and James McCarthy and Morgan Schneiderlin are all going to be gone at some point. And while we are not using those players now, you don't want to take out three guys from the squad and replace them with nobody. You at least need somebody else to step in. The thing is that Decore is not good. Um, He's become something of a white whale for teams that are looking for a box-to-box midfielder, especially since he scored a lot of goals last season, and a lot is kind of a a misnomer. He scored a lot of goals for a midfielder. He, He was real lucky, and his actual midfielder stats, if you look a little bit below the surface, are not that good. He's... He's a little bit more of a shinier Tom Davis in terms of his ability, and I do the price that Watford are asking for him. I'm going to take a super hard pass. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even. I, I think I might ultimately have a slightly higher overall perception of of Ducora than Chris does. Not that I think he's you know outstanding by any means. I think he's you know a moderately useful player for a team in in uh, in. Watford's standing. Uh, I think even if you thought that he was uh, good enough to play at Everton, which I don't necessarily think I do, uh, I also just don't think he fits the profile of anything that that Everton would be looking for in in terms of its depth. He's not – well, and and maybe that's really because I'm still not entirely sure what position I would call him. Uh, He's not really a 10. You know, you wouldn't bring him in to be the guy who backs up Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, he's not a good enough winner of the ball to to spot Idrissa Idrissa Gay. I, I would prefer Tom Davies in that role. You know, if if Ghana got hit by a bus tomorrow, um, and he's surely not Andre Gomes. Um, so if he can't spot any of those players, you know, in a way that that immediately makes sense, if you needed him to spot start a couple of times, I, I don't really know what the the point is. Uh, he kind of reminds me, I think, uh, a little bit of Ross Barkley in the way that we talked about Ross ahead of the Chelsea match, where when you put him in a midfield that's got other moving pieces that make sense and do some of the other work, he's a shiny toy that you can have in there that will occasionally do something that looks really good. But at the end of the day, if you need him to do a specific role, a specific thing as as a part of the larger scheme. I don't know where he fits in and what role he can do. I think yeah. he kind of fits that same criteria. Yeah, I and and it, just to add on to that, Marco Silva is asking his midfielders to do specific things. So that type of player is not a good fit. And just from a, a transfer, you know, kind of the perspective of the market, if you're you're looking at him and you think, is he better objectively than Tom Davis? And you're like, yeah, probably not. And then you're like, is he better than Morgan Schneiderlin? No. Is he better than James McCarthy? I don't know. And so the skepticism, once you kind of evaluate him against what we just already have on the books, and it's like, this seems pretty pointless. Yeah, I was looking at it from the transfer perspective, too, and just more from the transfer plans that it seems from uh Silva and Marcel – it's, you know, it seems like he's 25, going to be 26 on January 1st. He's on the higher end of what, the, you know, the age group that it seems that um, the director of football and the manager want to bring in. Um, and he doesn't have the talent level that they've been bringing in. So, I you know, it doesn't seem like a player that 
you know, they're looking for. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't think that the rumors turn out to be anything. I think, uh, like you guys said, you know, it may just be a product of, of Marco Silva formerly coaching at Watford and just another one of those situations. It just, it doesn't match up with the transfer plans. And that's why, uh, that's, that's why I don't think, um, this is really any, you know, weight to yeah. it. I, I mean, I totally understand why Watford use him now and I totally understand why Marco Silva used him there before. But um, Everton are considerably ahead of Watford in terms of their ability and their talent level, and this yeah. is not the type of player where you're going to be like, like Richarlison. Really, is the easy example where he's ready to take that next step in the in the league and in the table. It's just kind of like there's no reason for it. Yeah, absolutely. Now moving on, finishing things up here. Let's get some predictions. We're going to end up with. Six points from two games this week or uh or something different. Adam, let's start with you on this. Uh yeah, I, I think that, that Everton probably uh takes takes the points here um as well. Uh we've we've been, you know, since uh, since the, the early letdowns at home against uh Huddersfield and, and West Ham, we've been very good at home in terms of the the results that we've earned, even if sometimes the uh the way that we got there wasn't pretty. The, the talent at the end wins out. And I think as is the case with Newcastle, we've clearly, you know, got a talent edge over Watford. I think that Watford probably bring a little bit more danger coming forward than Newcastle. So, uh, I'll go 2-1 Everton because I, I, Jerry. Think, oh, God. I, uh, I'm never going to hear the end of it. None of us are ever going to hear the end of it from Chris if Gerard de Lefeu scores in this game. So if Jerry scores in this game, does he celebrate? That's the uh, big question for me. Is it is is anyone but you asking that question? I'm well, not I mean, a... I stipulated it with that's the big question for me. Uh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, for you that is the big question. For me, I'm not too worried about it. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, as as we've immediately all I'm sure thought, it would be very Everton for De Lafayette to get a goal in this one. Um, that said, two uh, one Everton. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar vein of thought. I. I... I do think that we could keep a clean sheet against Newcastle, so I'm not going to be so brazen as to predict a second one consecutively. So I'm going to go with uh, 2-1 as well. Not to be a copycat, but I, I don't think that uh, that Watford really can keep up with us. And it's kind of nice after the trip to Anfield, these are going to be two straight games at home. And I think that Marco Silva is going to have them ready to play, especially since the schedule gets a little bit hairy after that in terms of uh, both Manchester City and Spurs. We've been beating the teams that we need to beat in the last couple of months, and these are two more of those. Yeah, absolutely. I think we get a win in this one too. I think we get the six points. Uh, you know, I think it's, I think we're going to get a couple really good performances here, get to see some good things out of, out of this team and, and really hopefully they'll prove to us, uh, that, you know, the, it, the talent's there and, and they're, they're really figuring, figuring it out now and have, have really come together. Well, guys, thanks for. Uh, joining me to the listeners out there. Thanks for listening. Keep listening. Keep following us on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week.